Avoid fake news. Follow all the facts about the coronavirus on 702 or download the 702 app. We're joined this morning by Dr. Trishan Singh, leading local cardiologist practicing at Nedcare St. Augustine's Hospital in Durban. Dr. Singh, thank you for joining us this morning and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. The pandemic has caused quite a shift in the normal day-to-day activities. Would you say it's, uh, it's, it's catalyzed a refocus or distraction from chronic illnesses? Absolutely. You know, uh, in South Africa, we have uh, <clears throat> a huge number of patients uh, with uh, heart disease. Uh, diabetes and cancer, you know, the two leading causes of death in sub-Saharan Africa and our country, South Africa, are those two diseases, uh, heart disease and cancer. Now, what has happened with the coronavirus is twofold. One is that uh, the patients with heart disease and diabetes and uh, and cancer yes. are the very patients that are at high risk uh, of not only getting the coronavirus, but when they do get it, they are the patients who often succumb from the disease hmm. because of the, 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 the very nature of the problem. The second big problem is that patients who have cancer and heart disease are not seeing their doctors timelessly to make sure that all their risk factors and their, their diabetes, their hypertension, whether they're taking their medication, mm. uh, whether they are in optimal condition, that's not happening because, and this is just not a local problem, it is actually an international problem because we're seeing this uh, on, uh, on TV, we're yes. seeing this in the journals, etc. So basically what worries me in South Africa is that these patients are staying at home because they're too scared to venture out to go and see their doctors or, or go to their clinics and hospitals because they're scared that they're going to get the virus. But, of course, that has a huge impact on their, on their health. And often what we are seeing is the patients are not taking their medication because they haven't, they haven't ventured out to go and get their medication. Mm. So, you know, this poses a massive problem. And in terms of comorbidities, we, we're learning new terms, by the way, as citizens day to day, because we need to be informed, we need to be responsible and understand exactly what is happening. So these comorbidities themselves and our hospitals being encumbered and um, and patients who are chronically ill themselves, in terms of a financial impact uh, for the health institutions and the individual themselves, what effect happens when they are reactive versus being proactive? Uh, sorry, I, I don't quite get the question. You in, mean, uh, in, yeah, in terms of being proactive and reactive to comorbidities, what kind of financial implications would there be for someone, let's say, who hasn't been able to be medicated for a while and then they may need to be hospitalized? It's a massive problem because, uh, you know, firstly, not only patients, so if I get you right, are not uh, are unemployed or, or mm. being retrained. They haven't got money, no, no money for transport, uh, uh, no money to buy their medication, no money to get to the hospital clinic or to their doctors. So, you know, it's just not uh, a matter of, of get, having a checkup, but it's a problem of finding the money to get to those places. And uh, 
What we are also seeing is patients who are on uh, a health insurance plan are giving up their health insurance plans because they just haven't got money. The most important thing is to put uh, food on the table for the family. So Mm. that is priority. Mm. And we can understand also why these patients are are not being uh, optimally managed. How far have we come, really, in our knowledge in medical practices since the first heart transplant by Dr. Christian Barnard? We have come a huge way to uh, understanding these diseases and managing these diseases. I mean, we are at the forefront in the world, and I must say we're very proud of that in South Africa. So we've, we, you know, we still have maintained extremely high standards. And and the correlation between treatment and behavioral change, as you mentioned, you, you may criticize someone for not going to the doctor, for not sustaining their treatment, but uh, because of this change, it may be because of financial implications. Can you give us a better insight between treatment and behavioral change? Well, you know, it's it's often interlinked. Uh, you know, uh, behavioral change. Uh, one is understanding. Uh, the problem and, and having a good understanding of what happens if, uh, when you have comorbidities uh, and, and you need to be optimally managed. Uh, people sometimes perhaps, you know, because it's not tangible and it's, it's not like an ulcer that you have on your hand and you mm. can see the ulcer. And often it's, you know, the, the, these diseases are, uh, are within oneself that you can't see. Uh, until the complications uh, arise, you know, whether you get your heart attack or stroke, etc. So, you know, unfortunately at this time people become complacent Mm. because, you know, it's okay if I don't take my medication. So it's okay if I don't see my doctor for my diabetes or high blood pressure for the next few months. But it's not okay. Mm. (laughs) Um, So if I answer that question, uh, what you get at... that's what we are facing. It's, it's, well, it's not tangible. So people are taking this for granted. Yeah. Often a lot of, uh, I hear complaints from women who complain about their husbands. You let a uh, situation get to a point of, uh, of, of, in some circumstances, no return. And the importance of early treatment, we've seen it uh, when it comes to chronic illnesses, is quite key. In that behavioral change mentality, men and masculinity and that kind of, 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 of correlation between health and being strong and silent about these things, what would you say to people who suffer in silence? Well, you know, one, you know, I, I just find that patients all over the world are the same. You know, we, we take our, our diseases or rather the comorbidities for granted. Uh, you know, people are not forceful enough to say, I'm going to, I'm going to take charge of my own health. Uh, often people, you know, say that it's somebody else's problem. So, you know, maybe the government should, should sort out my health or, mm. you know, my family member or my doctor is his problem. It's not my problem. Mm. And I think that mindset has to change. People have to take charge of their own health. They've got to understand that if you don't do that, well, it's not only danger to yourself, but to your whole family. Mm. And Especially d- supporting a whole family. Sure. You've got to be in opt- optimal health to make sure that your whole family is well cared for. If you've just joined us, we are with Dr. Trishan Singh, leading local cardiologist practicing at Nedcare St. Augustine Hospital in Durban. Uh, 
how can we put ourselves in the best positions, uh, doctor, to make sure that uh, we handle the comorbidities and we also uh, put ourselves in the best positions and our families when it comes to chronic illnesses? So a simple question would be, how often should we go to the hospital? It shouldn't be a reminder. It shouldn't be a nag from your wife or your, or, or your partner that you must go to the hospital. How often should we go? Well, that is totally dependent on the kind of problem you have. You know, it, it, there's a big difference between whether you've had a, a bypass operation previously and then, of course, you should be seen by your cardiologist or local doctor at least at least six monthly if you haven't any complications. Mm. Uh, you know, a person who has diabetes and has to get his medication uh, every month has got to go to the all high blood pressure and have the blood pressure checked. Then you've got to go and see your doctor at least monthly, just to get your, your blood sugar checked or your blood pressure checked uh, and, and, and get a script for your medication. So that will be a monthly visit. If you've got complications of some sort, whether you've been cardiac failure or you're having ongoing chest pain, then, of course, you know, the, uh, the goalposts change. Then, then mm. you, it's going to be more frequent. But, you know, this is, this is new territory that we've now, yes. we're now entered with the COVID crisis. It has changed everything, and we can understand why. It's, you know, with the lockdown, it's made travel very difficult. Uh, with unemployment, with retrenchments, with money matters, it mm. has just changed the whole, the whole scenario. Is there a specific age when we should start being aware of hereditary chronic illnesses? I'm, I'm envious of, uh, I don't know, the infamous diet that uh, Warren Buffett has. Apparently, uh, scientists and dietitians have looked into it. He consumes junk food and uh, at a consistent rate. And some say even his body's adjusted to that level. But uh, as a normal person, looking at how you can look after yourself, um, what would you say then? What age should we start looking at and be aware of hereditary chronic illnesses? You know, the, that's a very good question because that uh, starts from childhood. In fact, it starts from in utero. And, you know, the mothers have to be aware of what they eat. But, you know, the problem starts from the day you are born. Uh, parents have to be very cognizant of, of what to feed their children on or what, more important, what not to feed their children on because the disease doesn't start, heart disease or Cholesterol deposition in the arteries of the heart or, or the brain de- or, or de- doesn't start when you're 30 or 40 years old. Mm. It starts from the day you're born or maybe even sooner uh, or even earlier rather. So, you know, everybody in the family has to be aware of the problem. Uh, they've got to educate the children from day one as to what a healthy diet is, mm. the importance of exercise. Uh, so it's t- because... You know, when you when you look at arteries, and there've been lots of studies on that. If you if you postmortem studies on people who uh, who unfortunately have died from from unnatural events and have to have to have postmortems, when you look at the arteries, the heart arteries, you already see that the deposition of cholesterol has started from the time they were children. Sure. So it's a it's an ongoing process, you know, of bad eating habits and bad lifestyle mm. that then finally culminates in a heart attack or stroke when they're forty or fifty years old. But mm. the problem didn't start then. The problem started from the day they were born. The most incredible thing I've seen, Doctor Singh, is one of my friends, uh, Thomas. He has a, a, a very polite young boy, and he was offered juice. 
And he said, no, can I please have some water? I'm talking about a two-year-old here, Dr. Singh. And that behavioral change, as you say, starts at a specific age. Would you say the sugar tax uh, with regards to uh, sugary drinks and, and sodas for kids is effective uh, in terms of uh, making sure at a young age children start these uh, health practices at a young age? That's vitally important. But, you know, the sugar tax itself is, mm-hmm. is just one aspect. But I think it's a whole education and, uh, and, and understanding by, by parents or caregivers uh, of what the ill effects are of, of these sugary drinks or mm. fast foods and uh, hamburgers and sausage rolls, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's easy to buy and easy to make, but, you know, they can have devastating effects. Yeah. yeah, you know, when a child wants to have a, a sweet fizzy drink, why not teach the child that? Hey, hold on! Mm. If you're thirsty, drink water. <laughs> my, my mom used to go with the one that if you drink sugary drinks, it makes you even more thirsty. I don't know about the science behind that, yeah, but we look at we look at. Um, Situations where, for example, there's a doctor in the room where a situation of an emergency, for example, one of the things that I think is important for everyone is just uh, the basic practice of uh, emergency uh, training. But uh, the symptoms and the common signs of a heart attack, uh, how, how do we, how can we recognize those? Because we may find a situation where someone is in serious trouble. What should we do and also what shouldn't we do in that situation? You know, I, I think, uh, firstly, people have to understand that when, uh, when you have a heart attack, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be riding on the floor, touching your chest with chest pain. Often, I mean, most, most often, patients don't present like that. It may be a mild sort of heaviness in the chest or in the, the jaws, the throat, or mm. in the arms, and not necessarily the left arm. It may be the right arm. It mm. may be both arms. Uh, it, often it's just a dull ache. But, you know, getting back to that, it's a, I, I often cringe when I see these, uh, these adverts uh, for so-called heartburn. If you've got a heartburn, take, take an antacid tablet. You know? mm. I don't want to mention the names. That yeah. you see on TV. I think I have an idea. <laughs> the wrong impression. So when people have, you know, heartburn, as you call it, which yeah. is just a... You know, they want to run out and uh, look for, a, for an antacid. But time is of essence. You've got to get to the hospital or your doctor as quickly as possible because time is muscle. You know, the longer you wait and with a heart attack, the, the, the more damage you do to the heart muscle. So those adverts, firstly, are really bad adverts. Mm. They, they send the wrong message. But secondly, I don't think we have more adverts or, or, or coverage in the media, whether it be radio or TV or whatever, of what the symptoms of a heart attack are. What are the expectations? I've never heard that. You know, very seldom, very, very rare. And that message has to get across to people. So people are aware of it, you know. You don't run for your antacid first. Mm. <laughs> No, just give us a bit of insight because I'd like to act responsibly in from my own personal view. And I'm sure our listeners are quite interested. We've had quite a few calls. What are those symptoms when it comes to a heart attack? And how do you differentiate them from a stroke? I know it's, it might be difficult. No, a stroke is very different. I mean, a, dro- a stroke is really a brain attack, you know, whereas a heart attack is an attack on the heart. <laughs> mm. So look at stroke as a brain attack because... Uh, it's a similar kind of, uh, although strokes can be caused by many things, it's not just 
blockages of the arteries. Uh, mm-hmm. Strokes can be caused by uh, hemorrhage or due to various factors, can be due to uh, tumors in the brain uh, and so on and so on. So it's not just uh, a problem with blood vessels. But uh, the strokes that we are, we are talking about uh, you know, are those that are due to a blockage from cholesterol, that uh, okay. uh, same thing that causes heart attacks. You know, and the the signs or the symptoms uh, are, are different. In a heart attack, with chest pain or chest heaviness, uh, or uh, arm pain or arm uh, 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 sensations. Mm. Uh, whereas with a stroke, can present many ways, either with just a numbness on the face or weakness on one side of the body, slurred speech as a first sign, depending on where that stroke is occurring, which part of the brain. So it depends on which part of the brain is involved that controls different parts of the body. If that part of the brain is affected, then you're going to present with uh, uh, a problem uh, involving that part of the body, be it a leg or an arm or your speech, or uh, often sometimes just the numbness on the face, you know. Mm. And then just lastly, just to maybe hammer in the point with regards to our health itself being an investment versus a cost, what would you implore our listeners of all age groups right now with our discussion, especially relating to chronic illnesses, starting from an early age and what the the very important information you've given us, the vital information you've given us related to the arteries and how they eventually over time uh, evolve depending on how you treatment Investment versus cost. How should we look at our, our health? Some people say health should be a lifestyle. What would you advise? Yeah, you know, the, as I said earlier, the problem uh, starts, so the education starts from day one that you are born. And the, the parents or the caregivers uh, or whoever is looking after that child, the it starts at so the it starts at that point. Mm. So people have to be educated. People have to. There's got to be. There's got to be more information out there. And I think the media, radio, TV, etc., play a very important part. Then, of course, you've got your your local doctors, uh, your local nurses, your local clinics that have to be hammering home the message of why it's so important to adopt good lifestyle, good eating habits, regular exercise from a very, very early age. Mm. Uh, and that's an investment. It's, it, you're making an investment in terms of, uh, of your life. Yes. And, and it's, uh, you, you know, and, and if you have uh, good health, then you, you, you can get a good job and it all, you know, it all mm. adds up. Thank you so much, Dr. Trishan Singh, joined, joining us this morning. He is the leading local cardiologist practicing at Nedcare St. Augustine's Hospital in Durban. He let us know about how COVID-19 fears uh, could result in unnecessary cardiac death. Thank you for, so much for your time and the work that you do, doctor. Please do be safe. Thank you very much for having me.